Would you please uh, pray with me? Uh, Gracious God, we want to hear you. We want to hear your voice. But more than that, we want your word to take root in our hearts so that you transform our lives as you desire. So, Father, please uh, not only open our ears tonight, but soften our hearts so that we respond to your word in an appropriate way. Uh, Please teach us now, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know any refugees? Do you personally know any refugees? Cass's dad, his mum and dad and brothers were forced to flee Romania in 1944. They left with a few bags. They were refugees running from the Russians. Siri was no more than 12 when he and his aunt fled South Sudan. They were looking for a new home, a new life, a better future. The first part of Siri's journey was the walk, the 1100 kilometre walk through Uganda to Nairobi in Kenya. After four years, he ended up at Newington College. Now a further four or five years on, he's taken up a basketball scholarship at a college in the USA. What a journey. What a journey that was filled with all kinds of trials and grief and loss and heartache. But hope and faith and love. It was a journey of grace. Did you know that there are more than 13 million refugees that are still scattered throughout Europe and Africa, the majority who are still living in camps like this? 13 million, more than half Australia's population. Or can you begin to imagine what it would be like if the entire population of New South Wales, not just Sydney, but the entire population of New South Wales was driven out of our country by war and conflict? Since 2011, there have been 5.4 million Syrian refugees forced out of their land. Many other Syrians still live within the borders of their country, but as refugees. Many of them escape with little more than the clothes on their backs. The refugee's life is not easy. Can you remember how many Syrian refugees the Australian government decided to allow to, allow to come into our spacious country? Too few to mention. What do you think about refugees? How do you regard refugees? Do you have pity on them? Do you have compassion 
or you, or you can't muster up compassion because they're all so distant and the problem is so big and we're all suffering from compassion fatigue. Because they're foreigners, because they have a different culture and a different language and perhaps a different religion, do you have a sense of fearfulness with regard to refugees? Do you equate refugees with terrorism? Do you think refugees are just too demanding, too demanding on the places that they go. A burden on the economies, a burden on the communities, a burden to many other people. Do you think refugees are undeserving? What do you think refugees want? What do you think they need? Three things come to my mind. The first is acceptance. They are homeless foreigners, driven from their own land, and so easily marginalised and discarded in a foreign land. What they want, what they need, is a welcome. An acceptance into a new home into a new community. What do they need? Well, they want to need what some disparagingly call handouts. They, they want because they have nothing. They need grace. They need undeserved favour. Unearned favour. What do they want and need? They need peace. They have fled war and violence, death and loss. They need peace. And yes, it will be hard for them to, to escape the scars on their body and the scars on their hearts. But they want and need to seek peace. What they need is grace and peace in abundance. I would really like to know your attitude towards refugees. Because we too need grace and peace in abundance. For we too are refugees. Would you please now turn with me to 1 Peter? And you'll find that on page 1886. 1 Peter. I'm going to read uh, the first two verses and the last three verses of this letter. So 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. 
who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. And if you could turn a couple of pages to chapter 5, verses 12 and 14, 12 to 14. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all, all of you who are in Christ. Peter addresses his letter to exiles. This word could be translated foreigners, strangers, aliens or refugees. They are scattered throughout modern day Turkey. They are living on the outskirts of the Roman Empire in the first century. Their lives have been dramatically changed since they began following Jesus. Having been given new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, they are now facing grief in all kinds of trials. Like us, they are on a journey to their new home their home where Jesus awaits to welcome them. They are on a journey that can be likened to the Israelites' journey to the promised land after they had been redeemed and rescued from slavery in Egypt. Peter writes to encourage them in their daily living, declaring that what is written in this letter is the true grace of God. This is what has saved us, and this is what we crave, what all refugees are seeking, grace and peace in abundance. When you look at your life, do you see grace and peace in abundance in the midst of all its messiness? Do you see grace and peace not only on your best days, but your worst days? This is what God offers us. Not only when we feel marginalised and perplexed, but every day as we journey towards our new home. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. This term as we work through 1 Peter, may our prayer be that we would see more of God's grace in our daily lives. And that we would live grace-filled lives in response. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. This is what God offers us as a church. This is what God offers you as his child. No matter what circumstances you are facing. We are encouraged here to remember three things. Remember whose we are. 
Remember what you need and remember that this is not home. Firstly, remember whose you are. We are people who, by God's mercy, have been chosen for a particular purpose. A particular purpose. We have been chosen to belong to God and, in a sense, to one another. All Christians live this strange double life, don't they? Peter addresses his audience as exiles or foreigners or refugees, not because they've just recently emigrated to those places, not because they've recently taken up residence there necessarily, whether it be Pontius or Bithynia, but because they now have dual citizenship. They are simultaneously inhabitants of the northern parts of Asia Minor and citizens of God's new world, which is waiting to be unveiled. And although they are scattered on the far fringes of the Roman Empire, they are central to God's purposes. And therefore, even though it might not look like it, they hold an extremely privileged position. Who would have thought that a bunch of ragtag rabble refugees like them, like us, could be at the centre of God's plan for the unveiling of his kingdom? Peter encourages us to remember that we belong to God the Father, whose sovereign purposes that have been laid down since before the beginning of time will not be derailed, stalled or threatened in any way. God himself is the refuge, the safe place, the surety, the unshakable rock to whom they belong. Centuries before, King David was aware of this and in the midst of his many dangers and life-threatening experiences wrote these words, In Psalm 62. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. We need to remember whose we are. We belong to God the Father. As refugees, we find our refuge in him. But there is more. We belong to God the Spirit. To sanctify something means to set it apart for a special and exclusive use. Exclusive use. God's Spirit sets us apart in the process of conversion and sanctification to belong to God for the distinct purpose of serving Him and thus bringing Him praise and glory. Remember whose you are. We belong to God the Father, we belong to God the Spirit, but of course there is more. The work of the Father and the work of the Spirit is to bring us to Jesus, to bring us 
to obedience in Jesus, to, to bring us into the likeness of Jesus. An ongoing experience where we belong to Jesus. Remember whose we are. We belong to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And all this is sheer grace. Most of you know that we live above coals. Uh, Often when we're cooking, or when I'm cooking, I'll have things set out and I'll realise, oh, I've forgotten a couple of ingredients. I can't complete I can't complete this task. They're crucial. But it's easy. I duck downstairs, grab a couple of things, and back in no time. In the context of how big the supermarket is, the few items that I've placed in my hands or in the basket might seem insignificant. Nevertheless, out of all the items that are available, they were personally chosen for a specific task. They were purchased and they were brought home. So it is with these scattered, seemingly insignificant Christians who have been chosen by God. They've been purchased, being readied for a new home, contributing to the unveiling of that new home. They are people who feel on the margins of the Roman Empire and on the margins of God's purposes, but actually they are standing at the very centre of God's plan. His plan to usher in his kingdom in all its fullness. That is who they are. That is who we are. God is achieving his good purposes in and through us. Through this little church through this church that doesn't even have a minister God has set us apart for his glory to do his work to his praise we also need to remember what we need Peter then reminds them that they need and what they will always need for this journey through this life. They will need grace and peace in abundance. Now these words, grace and peace be yours in abundance, are so, so much more than just a a greeting at the beginning of this letter. So much more. Grace extravagant, profuse, lavish generosity from God is what they have already experienced and what they will need for the rest of their journey. Peace, a confidence, a settledness, a centeredness in God which brings wholeness even in the midst of chaos and trial. As I mentioned earlier, Peter begins with grace and peace and his concluding remarks speak of grace and peace. So we are to be alerted to to grace and peace uh, permeating its way through this letter. 
and through our lives as refugees on our journey home. Grace pervades life. Life is a gift of grace and grace pervades life. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have witnessed grace at work in your life. But God is not satisfied with any of us merely being witnesses to the work of grace. He calls us to be instruments of that grace. Instruments of that grace to others. You see, by grace, he lives in you. By grace, his power is at your disposal. By grace, he fights on your behalf, even if you don't sense the need to. By grace, he works within us to complete the labour of grace that he has begun. By grace, he animates us with desire to do what is right. By grace, he exposes us and convicts us. We are able to choose and to do what is right only only because he lives in us and gives us the power to do so by grace. Are you on the lookout for grace? Are you on the lookout for grace in your life? Not just in your trials, but are you on the lookout for God's grace each day? Are you on the lookout for grace right now? Grace produces what you and I desperately need but have no power to produce on our own. And that is peace. Peace with God. Peace with our place in his world. Peace with each other. Peace in this chaotic life. Peace doesn't come by desire. Peace doesn't come about by negotiation. Peace is not a call to action uh, to self-motivate self-improvement. Peace doesn't come about by a means of a strategy. No, peace comes as a gift, the gift of a son. Peace came, peace lived, peace died, peace rose again. Peace reigns on your behalf. Peace indwells you by his spirit. Peter wants us to know that peace isn't just a faded dream. No, it's real. Peace is a person and you know him. His name is Jesus. And Peter, Peter has experienced this, but he's also heard it from Jesus. Jesus said to Peter, and he says to us, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. John fourteen twenty seven. Is that where you look for peace? Remember what you need on a daily basis, continued grace and peace. It will come our way 
but often we're looking in the wrong places. And often we don't recognise its strange design. We look to things, we look to people, we look to our own abilities instead of God. And it's because we become too familiar with our world. And in some cases, too familiar with God. So we need to remember that this is not our home. As exiles, as refugees, we are travellers, sojourners, not permanent residents. This is our temporary dwelling. This is not our home. Our true home is with God. But we can be distracted by familiarity with our surrounds. Oh yes, we, we want more than this world can offer. We say that we want more than this world has for us. But often our actions suggest that we're quite content and happy with this place. Familiarity is a beautiful thing. Being familiar with that great piece of music. Being familiar with that person that you love. But we know it can also breed contempt. The blessing of blessings is to be familiar with the ways, the character, the presence and the promises of God. Your familiarity, although a wonderful thing, can be a dangerous thing. Because the insidiousness of sin is such that jaw-dropping, heart-controlling, life-shaping awe and wonder of God become a boredom with God. What once stunned us doesn't anymore. What caused us to act with hope and courage doesn't anymore. What caused us to say no to sin and yes to righteousness doesn't anymore. Familiarity is dangerous. So we need to remember that this is not our home. We need to encourage each other to be looking Godward and living Godward lives, ever moving forward. We don't want to lose sight of glory, of his glory, his grace, and become satisfied with much less. This is why Peter writes this letter to us refugees to put before us the grace and peace, the glory of God so that we will be ever moving forward. As we continue working through this letter, will you pray with me that God will cause us to crave for grace and look for grace day after day after day. Will you pray with me that we will seek not only grace but to be instruments of grace? Will you pray that we will seek not only his peace but to be peacemakers? Will you pray that we would be reawakened to God's glory? 
that we will be gobsmacked again by his wonder. The wonder of redemption. The wonder of grace. The wonder of his promises. So that we might live to his glory, to his honour, to his praise. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for our church. We thank you that in your grace we have nothing to boast in of our own doing. We, we know something of each other's weaknesses, something of each other's trials. And, and Father, we thank you that you work in the midst of us despite those struggles and you shape us in the midst of that Father thank you for your grace we do pray that you would amaze us with your glory do pray for that grace and peace in abundance that we need to be like your son Jesus Father thank you that we belong to you thank you that we have been set apart thank you that we have a glorious a glorious purpose to sing to your praise and glory and to live to your praise and glory. Amen.